We began our series on the church that Jesus built last week. We talked about the promise of Jesus, his promise to build his church. In Matthew 16, verse 13, we read this. I don't know if we'll read it every week, but we'll read it a lot of the weeks. Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, other Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. We began with the concept, this concept, Jesus promised to build his church, also called the kingdom, his kingdom. That's the language he uses more often. His body is called a number of places in the New Testament, or as we will see today, his house. These are all synonyms for the thing that Jesus was going to build. Before we go further, we must consider the foundation. What does he say? On this rock, I will build my church. What is the rock? What is the thing upon which Jesus was going to build his church? Is it a person? Is it multiple people? Is it an idea? Is it an ideology? Is it any number of things that it could be? What is it? That's what we're going to talk about today. Answer this question. We should begin with the common idea prevalent in certain strains of theology, that Peter was the rock upon which the church would be built. There's a play on words in, uh, in this statement of Jesus. There's a lot of play on words in the New Testament, well, really the whole Bible, not just the New Testament, that we miss because we're reading a translation. We miss translation, it just is what it is. We understand that, we need to read it in English. In the original language, there's an interesting play on words, Peter's name, of course, Peter. The word for rock being Petra. You can see how those are connected. And, and Jesus is sort of making this interesting play on words. You are Peter, and on this rock, Petra, I will build my church. Not quite the same, but very similar. And so there's this idea that Peter was the rock upon which the church would be built. And in a sense, not just Peter, but those with him, the apostles, were the rock upon which the church would be built. Acts 1, 6 through 8. This is, of course, at, uh, after his, uh, his resurrection, before his ascension. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or seasons the Father is fixed by his own authority, but you, that is the apostles, will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. This promise, you will be my witnesses when the power comes upon you. Of course, that happens at the beginning of Acts chapter 2, right? The power rushes upon them, the mighty rushing wind and the tongues of fire, and they have the sermon. Peter, of course, stands up and sort of has this, uh, not sort of, he preaches the first gospel sermon, and everybody's, not everybody, a lot of them are converted. They're, they have this fear that comes upon them and the awe, and what are we going to do? And, of course, Peter tells them. And then we see early on, Acts 2, verse 42, they devoted themselves, this is not just the apostles, but the, the church, those who had been converted, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. All came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common. It is definitely true. The apostles were the focal point of the early church explosion, which is why in Ephesians 2, which we read, there is this statement here. He came and preached peace to you who are far off, peace to those who are near. 
Uh, that's, of course, Peter's promise, right? At the end of Acts chapter 2, repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. You'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and for your children and all who are afar off. He came, this is, of course, being Jesus came and preached peace to you, those who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, that is Jesus, we have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Who's he talking about here? This is the Jews and the Gentiles, right? In Acts chapter 2, almost all Jews, or at least people who are connected to Judaism, there for the, uh, the festival in Jerusalem. But as the church exploded, expanded, what did Jesus say? You'll be my witnesses in Judea, or Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth, not just the Jews here. It's the Gentiles. They have been included. You are now fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This idea of the cornerstone. I don't necessarily know that we use cornerstones as much today, uh, but in structures where you're building with blocks, right, you're building structures out of blocks, the cornerstone was the first block. It had to be perfect, it had to be, because everything else was going to be based. You place the first block, and then you go out this way one way, you go out this way the other way, you go up the other way, right? That was the cornerstone, the first thing. And then, of course, he says what? Being built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What was the thing that they were building? You are members of the household of God. You are being built together into a dwelling place for God. These are all synonyms. The kingdom, the church, the body, the household, the house. You can just say house. We'll see that in another verse. The temple. The thing that Jesus was going to build for himself. Now, Paul says this thing, this group of people, the church was built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And important to note that Peter doesn't receive any special individual recognition, right? He's not, now Peter is the one who answers in the, in the original Matthew 16. Who do you say that I am? Peter's the one that stands up and answers. And of course he says, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, etc. But then when he switches to, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven, this is another thing we miss in translation. We should say, I'll give y'all the keys to the kingdom of heaven. We don't have a plural you, we just don't have it. But it is, he switches to a plural you there. I will give you, my apostles, the keys to the kingdom of heaven. The apostles were then the main drivers, the witnesses, as Jesus promised, in the formation of the church. But guess what? They're gone now, guys. They're dead and gone. Where does that leave us? They may have been the beginning, but remember Jesus asked the question before he declared his intent. Who do you say that I am? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Peter's statement, the truth it pointed to, this is the, the true bedrock of the thing that Jesus would build that would endure long past his ascension, long past the death of the apostles, that would endure in perpetuity. What did we read last week? A number of passages. The eternal kingdom, the thing that would never end, would be indestructible. Not indestructible because of the people, indestructible because of the truth. Acts 4, 8 through 12. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, he's speaking to uh, uh, a number of people who are antagonistic toward the church. Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders... 
If we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, the healing of this crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. Again, that first block laid from which all other things are derived. There is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. The apostles did not die for you. It isn't their church. We are sometimes called Campbellites after a couple of guys who sort of the restoration movement. Alexander Campbell did not die for us. Martin Luther did not die for us. You can go throughout history. These people, titans of the faith, all throughout history. People that we don't even know about, probably. Who perpetuated the church. They did not die for us. Only one person saves. There is no other name. In heaven or on earth. It is Jesus' church. The apostles may have been his witnesses, but they were witnesses to his glory. Acts 2.42, they devoted themselves not to the apostles, but to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Hebrews 6.1 and 2, let us therefore leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again the foundation. Now, his point in Hebrews 6 is to go beyond the foundation, right, to go into more complex matters. He's going to talk about Melchizedek, one of the more complicated matters in Hebrews. But he begins with this idea, right? The foundation of these ideas. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, the instruction about washings. This is the same word, baptizo, immersion. The instruction of immersion. The laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. These ideas, the truth of what Jesus taught, beginning with the most important truth, which is what? Jesus is the Christ the Son of the living God. From that one idea follows all the other ideas. That is why it is the elementary doctrine of Christ. It's not the elementary doctrine of Paul. It's not the elementary doctrine of Peter. It's his doctrine because he is the Son of the living God. Repentance from dead works is because of his being the Christ. Faith toward God is because it was demonstrated in Christ. Instruction about immersion is because immersion is how we are united with Christ. The laying on of hands, passing on the power of Christ. Ultimately, the resurrection of the dead, the perfect sign that he is the Christ. Looking forward to eternal judgment. That is coming, as Paul says in Acts 17, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world by the man he has appointed. The people devoted themselves to the teaching. The thing that outlives the apostles is what they taught. The elementary doctrine of Christ and all that springs from it. 1 Corinthians 3, 9 through 17. We are God's fellow workers. He's speaking, of course, about himself and not just the apostles, but the other evangelists or ministers of the day. Paul says, of course, in Ephesians, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, right? Those who are teaching in an inspired way. We are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a master builder, I laid a foundation and someone else is building upon it. 
Let each one take care of it, builds upon it. No one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, these are analogies, right? Each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it. What day is that? The day of judgment, the day of eternal judgment, which is one of the elementary doctrines of Christ, right? Because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. The question, ultimately, first of all, how did they build? He says he's building. He's building on this foundation. He's laying it. He's building on it. What does that mean? Of course, we know what's being built, the household of God. You are being built into a dwelling place for God. So how did they build? They built by teaching. By conveying information. The information that Jesus is the Christ. The information that judgment is coming. The information that we need to repent. The information that we need to be immersed into Christ. The information that... And we could go on and on and on. The rest of the New Testament written to explain what? Well, now I've become a Christian, what do I do? Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, all those letters describing some element of truth that follows from the foundation that Jesus died for your sins. So what should we do about that? Jesus built his church by inspiring and empowering the apostles to teach what he wanted them to teach, as it says in John, right? I will send the helper. He will bring you remembrance of all the things that I have said to you. He's not going to tell you anything on his own. He's going to take what I say and give it to you. That is the Holy Spirit speaking the truth of Jesus. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, we continue in 1 Corinthians, survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved. He's talking about people being added to this thing that is being built, the church, the temple, the structure, the house. More people are the bricks, right? And we're thinking about laying out the bricks of this house. Jesus is the first stone, the cornerstone. The apostles and prophets are laying that foundation. And then being built on top of that is what? It's us. It's you and me being added to the structure. But, of course, what might happen? If the work doesn't survive, what does that mean? Do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple... God will destroy him. How would you destroy the temple of God? You take away the bricks, the people. Either convince them to leave, convince them not to believe, convince them to believe a false thing, have some sort of false teaching, some false understanding. That would corrupt, destroy these bricks that are being added to the temple and the warning of what? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. The foundation, Christ, the cornerstone, his death, burial, and resurrection, the things that he taught, the thing laid out in the foundation then around that, springing from Christ, the truth that he taught, the things that he said, the things he wants us to know, because we are added to this thing by knowledge, by faith. What does he say in Romans 10? How are they to believe unless they hear? That is the foundation. Matthew 16, 16 through 18. We'll read it one more time. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. I would tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, this foundational truth, I will build my church. Jesus is the one who died to create this temple, to bring us to God. 
But for people to join, they need to know the truth. Which is why Jesus says in Acts 1, right? They're going to be his witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses. You're going to tell people about me, about what I've done. You're going to tell people my truth. That's why they're rightly called the foundation, Ephesians 2. But only because they taught Jesus truth. That's what made them the foundation. They were the first ones to teach this truth to others. What then would be the implication for a group of people who do not follow what they taught? The apostles and prophets that Jesus commissioned. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. What would be the implication if that is the foundation? If people are not following what they taught. If they taught the truth of Jesus, then the implication would be they are not following the truth of Jesus. Which is why the warning about that work surviving. We'll finish with this idea. It's so important for us to be aware as we're being built into this temple. The question in 1 Corinthians 3, the work that is being added, the things that are being added to this church, will it survive the fiery judgment, the test that is coming? 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 and 2. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus, as you receive from us how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. What's the admonition? You received it. You've heard the truth. Keep doing it. If you do not keep doing it, if you do not keep enduring in it, then the work that he had done would not survive the judgment. It would be exposed and found out. And might I suggest that warning is just as apt for us today. If you're here in the room and you're a part of the church, you're a part of the temple, that's great. I'm so glad. Your place is not eternally secure until we stand in judgment and hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Until that point, we might be removed from this thing that Jesus built unless we continue in the things that we've received unless we continue in the truth that we know. 2 Timothy 2.19, the Lord's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are his. We'll pause there for a minute. This building is not the church because people can be in this building and not belong to God. Your attendance here does not mean you're in the church does not mean you're part of the structure that Jesus built. Now, we've got to think about causation here. Hopefully, if you're in this structure, you are coming here because this is where the rest of the people are, right? But as Paul said, we think about some places that don't have a building. They're still the church, right? Because it's the people, right? Wherever they gather. Jesus says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. The Lord knows those who are his. Hopefully that's you and me, but it may not be. Which is why we get to the second part here. And let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. He says it in the positive. As you are doing, do so more and more. The things that you've heard, the right things to do. We talked about this in Bible class. Here it's removing sin. Depart from iniquity. Stop doing sinful things. How are we going to know what iniquity is? Because of the foundation of the apostles and prophets, what they taught, right? We'll end with Romans 6, 17 through 18. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves to sin have become obedient from the heart 
through the standard of teaching to which you are committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to righteousness. The foundational statement, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. From that first principle follows everything else. Because the standard of teaching to which we have committed comes from Jesus. His truth, his will, his understanding of the universe. If what? If we become obedient. And so we offer the invitation, twofold invitation. First of all, to those who may have not been obedient. Well, we've, we've read the foundation, right? The repentance from dead works, the faith toward God, the instruction about immersion. What does the Philippian, or what does Philip say to the Ethiopian eunuch? Here there is water. What prevents me? If you believe, you may. To confess him, but to depart from iniquity. Which comes to the second invitation. The invitation for those who have never become a Christian, but for those who have. To continue in what you know to be true. And maybe you're struggling with that. We all struggle, don't we? We all have sin. Who do we need to bring that to? Not to the apostles. Don't pray to Peter. Don't pray to Paul. We bring that to Jesus. As we sing this song, I bring my sins to thee, the sins that I cannot count. More than we even know about, maybe, we come to him because he is the foundation. If you need to do that, come while we stand and sing.